it has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Is the city of Jerusalem the center of attention for the unfolding of events in the final crisis here on this earth? Today I want us to take a journey. Let's take a journey to the city of Jerusalem. We will stand overlooking the city of Jerusalem and we will see some magnificent places, some ancient places. But the centerpiece and most recognizable structure of modern day Jerusalem is the Temple Mount. There on the Temple Mount stands the Dome of the Rock. It was built at the end of the 7th century. Now many of the conflicts that have occurred in Jerusalem over the years have occurred because of the Dome of the Rock. It is one of the most holy places for Islam and is actually built on the site of Mount Moriah, which is where the ancient Jewish temple was. This mixture of two religions has created considerable issues in the Middle East and in particular in Jerusalem. In fact, there at the bottom of Mount Moriah, there is the Wailing Wall. Up at the top, you have the Dome of the Rock. Two religions in continual tension. It has led many, many Christians to ask the question, the same question that many people around the world are asking. Will the Jewish temple, which was burned down and destroyed in 70 AD, will it be rebuilt? And the question that we must ask is that is a temple, a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, the focus of our attention in these last days? In order to answer these questions, along with the question of the mysterious 2300 days, we must step back further in time. We must understand a little bit of the history of the temple in order to answer the questions properly. We must go to the ancient ruins of Egypt. Now, if you're familiar with biblical history, God's people, the Hebrew people, were taken captive into Egypt. Now, initially, they were there by free choice, living in the land of Goshen. The Egyptians provided a shelter in a time of famine. Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, became the chief of the commanders in Egypt. And then his brothers and father came to the land of Goshen to live and find refuge. Now, if you go to Egypt today, you will see many of these magnificent structures. Some of these structures were likely built by the Hebrew people, but not the pyramids. Other of those structures, but not the pyramids. The Hebrew people, over time, they began to grow and multiply in population and they became a threat to the Egyptians. So in order to control them, the Egyptians enslaved the Hebrew people. Now the Hebrew people were enslaved there in Egypt for over 400 years. Sometime around the 16th or 15th century BC, God's people began to reconnect with him. A leader, Moses, would rise up Moses was a Hebrew. However, he was brought up in an Egyptian home. He was trained in the royal courts of Egypt 
and in Egyptian schools. He was being groomed to be a leader in that land. Now, later in life, he became reconnected with his Hebrew roots. He became reconnected with God. And God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. That event is called the Exodus, and it is recorded in the book of Exodus in the Bible. Now, through the Hebrew people's 400-year enslavement, they had grown disconnected with their God. As they made their way out of Egypt, God wanted to reconnect with them. And so God instructed them in the Sinai Peninsula, in Exodus chapter 25, that they would build a sanctuary. Now, the purpose of that sanctuary is stated plainly by the very words of God himself, that I may dwell among them. Now, the sanctuary was to be a reminder to God's people of the relationship that he desired to have with them. This is why the sanctuary, when it was set up amongst the Israelite, amongst the 12 tribes, that the sanctuary was right at the very center of the camp. It was symbolic. And the physical location was indicative of what God desired for his people. He was to be at the very center of their life. And so, they would set it up there that he would be. Now, additionally, the Bible says that God would lead them by a pillar of fire at night and would protect them by a cloud during the day. The Hebrew people became reconnected with their God. God would set up the sanctuary system, a system of sacrifice that would point them forward to Jesus as the Messiah, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Now, within the sanctuary, there was a courtyard. In that courtyard was the altar and the laver. Then within the very structure, the structure called the tent of meeting, was the holy place and the most holy place. Now, every day, sacrifices were made in the sanctuary. Every day, people would bring their sin offerings. Every day, they would make those sacrifices, lambs. Then the priest would take the blood into the sanctuary. He would take the blood into the holy place. And that was a daily activity. The sinner's guilt was symbolically transferred as he would lay his hands upon the perfect lamb. Then don't miss this. The sin that was symbolically transferred to the lamb was then symbolically transferred into the sanctuary. Now, understanding that symbolism of the sanctuary as a demonstration of the physical manifestation of where God wants to dwell is vital to understanding the prophecies of Daniel. Sin was transferred from the people into God's dwelling place. The perfect lamb was slain. Its blood caught in a basin. That basin taken by the priest into the sanctuary, the most holy place, all of that symbolic of the sacrifice of Jesus. And I want you to remember now, that would happen daily. Then once a year, on a special festival or a special feast, something different would occur. It was called the Day of Atonement. Now, the definition of atonement is actually contained in the very word itself. If you break that word apart, those separate parts at 
one meant. That's what atonement is. Atonement is bringing us back into one with God. Now, the Day of Atonement brought about a unique happening. The sacrifice would be made. The blood would be again collected into a basin. But there would no, be no sprinkling on the way into the sanctuary. The priest would take that basin and go all the way in. And remember, this was once a year, all the way into the most holy place. And there he would place the blood upon the altar. And then he would place blood going out of the sanctuary. Don't miss the direction here. Daily the blood goes in, then once a year it comes out. You see, the Day of Atonement was a day of cleansing where the sanctuary would be figuratively and symbolically cleansed of all the sin that had been placed there throughout the year. The wilderness sanctuary was a temporary structure. It was a structure that was set up and then it would be taken down as the Israelites moved from place to place. But as the Israelites eventually settled in Jerusalem, they built a permanent structure. That permanent structure was Solomon's temple. The Day of Atonement was at the end of the Jewish year when the high priest would enter the most holy place of the sanctuary. It was a day of repentance, a day of confession. It was the most solemn day of the year because it was a day of judgment. The Day of Atonement was a day of judgment and it was the cleansing of the sanctuary. After Israel entered the promised land, the wilderness sanctuary was replaced by Solomon's magnificent temple. And at Solomon's temple, these very same activities would continue throughout history. Now, there have been volumes written on this topic, and what I have presented is a simplified version of a lot of history and theology. The sanctuary system, though, would continue in Solomon's time, However, Solomon's temple would not last forever. In 586 BC, when Nebuchadnezzar was holding the city of Jerusalem under siege, they would eventually go in and destroy that temple. Jerusalem would be destroyed and the people were taken captive and exiled into Babylon. Now, years later, they were allowed to come out of Babylon under the Persians and they were commissioned to rebuild and they, in fact, began rebuilding. And the temple was rebuilt. And that temple existed in Jesus' time. But eventually that temple was destroyed in 70 AD. This was the temple that Jesus was referring to when he looked over the city and, and he wept and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. The sanctuary was left desolate. It was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Matthew chapter 25 that the Roman Empire would come in 70 AD and destroy the temple. This event is actually recorded in one of the reliefs on the Arch of Titus. Will the temple at Jerusalem be rebuilt? And is this the temple that is the focus of last day events? Here's what we find when we look at the scriptures. Although the earthly temple played a vital role, 
the earthly temple has been destroyed. And now God is directing our eyes different. He is directing our eyes to another temple. The Apostle Paul says, writing in the book of Hebrews, now this is the main point. This word main point literally means, this is the chief point. This is the capstone of everything we've been saying to you. And it goes on in Hebrews chapter 8. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. This is remarkable. Did you hear those words? There is an original sanctuary. Because remember, God asked the Israelites to make a copy What was it a copy of? My dear friends, it was a copy of the temple in heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote those words in the book of Hebrews, the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Paul says this is the chief point. This is the capstone, the capstone of everything that he's been teaching. We have a high priest And he serves in the true tabernacle, the tabernacle made by God and not man. Friends, while much of Christianity has been almost duped into believing we need to look to a literal Jerusalem and see a literal temple rebuilt, God is saying, listen, Jerusalem is an important place, but I need you to stop looking to the east. I need you to look to the north, look to the heavens, look up. Because what I want to show you is in heaven. And this is why Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 16 says these words. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You see, when Paul was writing the book of Hebrews, he doesn't write to Hebrews in a way in which he's speaking symbolically. He's writing to the Hebrews about a literal place of literal things that are happening right now in heaven. Friends, to help us understand everything that I've been talking about, we need to go back. We need to go back to the book of Daniel. Go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7 specifically. You remember, Daniel saw four beasts. Then in that judgment scene of Daniel chapter 7, he saw these things. I watched until thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels of burning fire and a thousand thousands ministered to him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Daniel uses the throne room imagery that has language very similar to the sanctuary. And Daniel says that judgment commences in a courtroom that has a lot of things that look like the sanctuary. It says the books were opened. In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 14, 
in the three angels' messages, God speaks words. This is God's counterattack to Satan's deceptive assault on the church recorded in Revelation 13. But in Revelation chapter 14, God sends three angels with three messages. And the first message is a clear one recorded again in Revelation 14. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. What is God's counterattack to Satan's attack? The everlasting gospel. But it's not just any gospel. It is the everlasting gospel that says something. It says this, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So the everlasting gospel has no one that is left out. It goes to any and all people. And then this is the message as recorded in Revelation 14. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. The hour of his judgment has come. Is that the future tense? No, no, no. It says the hour of his judgment has come. Friends, we have, we have a sanctuary, a day of atonement, judgment, Daniel 7, judgment, Revelation 14, judgment. What's going on here? You see, Revelation 22, verse 12, gives us a little insight. This is what Revelation 22, 12 says. My reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Now, friend, if Jesus is coming to give his reward at the second coming, what must happen before he comes? It's very simple. Judgment. Jesus himself, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, then he will reward each according to his works. You know, too often in Christianity, we talk about judgment and it makes us very nervous, frightened. But Jesus wants us to understand something. Before he comes, something must happen. Jesus is coming again to make all things that are wrong right. Jesus is coming to take his people home with him to heaven. And in order to take people home with him to heaven, he needs to know who has fitted themselves for citizenship in heaven. And in order to do that, the Bible is quite clear that judgment must happen before he comes. Now, while Revelation describes the details about the judgment, the book of Daniel actually predicts when and where the judgment will occur. Now, you'll remember, in the book of Daniel, we left off in Daniel chapter 8. And Daniel chapter 8 ends with these words. And I, Daniel, fainted, was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Why didn't he understand? What was he astonished by? He did not understand, and he was astonished by Daniel 8, 14. Those words, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. 2,300 days. It's a time prophecy. What is this all about? It would seem to be very important. 
because we just talked about this. The Bible talks about how critical the sanctuary is. The Bible talks about a sanctuary in heaven. Daniel was given a vision of 2,300 days and a sanctuary that was cleansed. Now the angel visitor, Gabriel, gave him some key pieces that will help us understand this. The Bible says, So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, the vision refers to the time of the end. Daniel didn't understand the vision. But here are the elements he does understand. Number one, the vision is for the end of time. Number two, it speaks of the sanctuary being cleansed. Now, how did Daniel know what it was referring to? Was there a sanctuary existing in Daniel's day? There was no sanctuary. So Daniel's mind would have been drawn not to the sanctuary in Jerusalem, but his mind would have been drawn to the heavenly sanctuary. And the third thing, the third hint, it is a symbolic time period because the Bible says 2,300 days but then it says it's to be for the end of time. Did Daniel live in the end of time? No, <laughs> because we are all here. And unless some of us are 2,500 years old, it wasn't the time of the end when Daniel was alive. So there's something symbolic about these 2,300 days. Daniel longed for an answer. And while it only takes mere seconds for you or me to turn the pages from Daniel chapter 8 to Daniel chapter 9. Thirteen years passed for Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 records Daniel's prayer. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who is made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Daniel studied his Bible and he prayed. He didn't give up on God. Even during the 13-year time span, God did not tell him what the vision meant. And my friends, it is a lesson for us in our practical spiritual walk with God. Don't give up on God. Don't stop praying. Don't stop reading the Bible. Because as soon as we do that, we turn off the communication. Stay in communication with God. Specifically, Daniel was studying the prophet Jeremiah. The message of the prophet Jeremiah was a very simple message of 70 years. 70 years the Hebrews would be in captivity in Babylon. In Daniel's later years, that 70 years was coming to an end. And so as he was reading the prophet Jeremiah, he prayed and he asked for the sins of the people to be forgiven and not for God to forget the Hebrews. And then something notable happens. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 23, the Bible says that an angel visitor begins speaking to Daniel and says, at the beginning of your supplications, which is another word for prayer, the command went out and I have come to tell you for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. 
Friends, Daniel chapter 8 leaves off with Daniel not understanding a vision. The 2300 day vision. Now in Daniel chapter 9, the angel says, I have come to help you understand the vision. What vision was he coming to help him understand? Without a doubt, the 2300 days. The angel Gabriel comes to Daniel and says, listen, I've come to help you understand the vision of the 2300 days. It is that vision that can answer all the questions surrounding the Jerusalem factor. But today, we've run out of time. Next week, my friends, the answer to the questions will thrill you. You won't want to miss it. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are in control of all things. And dear Lord, you want us to be ready. You've told us about the judgment. You've not kept it secret from us. But we know in that judgment, you're not looking to keep us out of heaven. We know in that judgment, you are looking for every opportunity to get us to heaven. And so today, as we pray, we place our faith and trust in you, knowing that you will give us the strength, you'll give us the courage, and that we would be ready when your son Jesus comes again soon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear friends, the sanctuary message, the 2300-day message, can be a very confusing message. Hopefully this program has helped make it simple, but I want to give an offer to you today for further reading to help it be even more simple. I want to offer to you the little booklet, Blood Behind the Veil. This book was written by Joe Cruz, and it will help you dig deeper and understand more completely this prophecy of the 2300 days, this prophecy of the sanctuary message and the hope that it brings that Jesus is coming soon to take us home. Here's the information you need to receive today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario. L1H 7V4. And thank you for your prayer requests and your generous financial support. That's It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. Friends, the greatest assurance in a time of judgment is to be on the side of Jesus, to be in a relationship with Him, to have security in Him. I want to invite you to go to our webpage, www.itiswrittencanada.ca, and there you'll find resources on how to dive more deeply into relationship with Jesus. 
You'll find some of our programs there, along with an ability to sign up for Bible studies and other resources to develop your spiritual library. You can also go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash IIW Canada, and there you can find all of our archived programs. You can follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Pastor Holland. My dear friends, Jesus desires to take us all to heaven. I hope you enjoyed today's program. I invite you to join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.